This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, our studio here at the Institute's Summit 2023 in St. Petersburg. We are having so much fun. Tracy, I think we've got to start recording all the stuff before we uh, think we're recording and at the end, because each one of these episodes that we've done takes its own interesting form and shape once everybody thinks the mic is off. So we could, you know, we, we could do that. Hot mic. Yeah, hot mic. <laughs> Michael Smith is, is with us, managing partner at Herzberg Smith and Company. And he, he did some incredible stuff yesterday in a, one of the best keynotes I've heard about the future of the automotive aftermarket. And he's here. He's going to share a little bit to set it up. Also with me is Jason Brennan from Fine Tune Auto Service, Illinois and Indiana. Hey, welcome, man. Thank nice, you. Nice to have you. Michael Samard is here, Samard Automotive from Alaska. Fairbanks, Alaska. Fairbanks, Alaska to St. Petersburg. How long is that flight? <laughs> Too long. <laughs> <laughs> About 13 hours. Are you serious? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Wow. So do you have to come two days early? Um, I did because I needed vitamin D. We haven't gotten into that in a while. So, oh, that's really good. But uh, yeah, so it was worth it though. So that that big yellow thing in the sky, you haven't seen that, that in a while? That hurt the first day. It was literally like full on, close your eyes as hard as you could. But all the scientists say you should, you should like look towards the sun. Yeah, you should. So. You, you, the sun's got to get into your retina that's for some right. And they also said reason. not to burn them out. So <laughs> yeah. that was the first day. Good to have you here. Four stores uh, right now. And uh, he has a goal of eight locations by May of this year. We're, we're going, we're moving forward. Wow. Exciting. It's actually seven, but, but, uh, one's going to be uh warehouse building. Okay. Excellent. And by the way, Jason, uh, two stores now and more coming soon, right? Correct. You know, it's no secret. We're facing a technician shortage and Napa Auto Care is addressing that. The free two-year apprentice program offers a variety of training to produce a technician with three ASE certifications. Learn more. Members can visit member.napaautocare.com. A couple of episodes that you're going to hear that are coming out of the Institute and the recording and the, you know, the great sponsorship we have to be here from Kent and Cecil Bullard is to talk about growth. Because, Michael, you covered it so damn well yesterday about acceleration of consolidation that we see. And you just didn't go out and say, okay, guys, got to buy shops. I mean, this man set up an hour, almost an hour and 10 minutes worth of slides, and you covered it from A to Z as far as what's going on in the world and the dealerships and technology. Give us a few minutes to help prep the reasons that we need to be concerned. Pace of change is really what we've started the conversation with, and that is that the OEM automotive manufacturers have an, have an incentive to make as many changes as they can down the lines that we've been talking about, autonomous, alternative drivetrains, connectivity, shared mobility. They want to own that market if they can. And it's worth a lot more to them to own it. If they can get there first and make everybody else follow them, it's worth a lot more profit to them over time. So on the platform of that, where we tend to, in this industry, think we have a little bit more time to think about this and the engineering challenges is going to take longer than we think. The investments in the trillions of dollars across all these fronts is happening right now. Real time and the strategy at the OEM level is really shifting under under their feet and it's changing above our heads. We are in the tail end of what happens after they make cars, sell cars, finish servicing cars, and then we pick them up at that point. 
wonderful place to pick them up. But what they do today is going to affect us in five to seven years. And they're in the process of changing as fast as they possibly can for their own financial benefit. That was really the platform to start this yeah. from was yeah. we can talk about all the problems with electric vehicles and all the problems with the power grid and all that. But they're working their way around that as fast as they possibly can for their own long term economic benefit. So it's coming faster than we think, whatever that means. Are we going to be in that mobility thing? Oh, Take that's a-, a great question. That's and that de- kind of depends on how all this plays out. And that's kind of the impact that we have today. When we look forward strategically in this industry, what are the possible futures and what can we be doing to get ready? Because what we don't want to do is be sitting here business as usual 10 years from now and look up and go, "Uh oh, we need to do something radically different. We can see the writing on the wall. We don't know all the timing of it. We don't know the exact nature of it, but the trends have formed and they're swirling and we can see what the, the tapestry is being woven at this point. It's still loose. Threads haven't been pulled in yet, but we can see what's forming. And so that's our opportunity as to how do we participate today to be successful down the road? And what would that look like? Michael, Alaska. It's a place I always wanted to go to. To me, it seems like God's country. Were, were you a from the mainland down here and, and moved there? You uh, always been in Alaska? Nope, nope. So in 1995, I uh, opened up a map of Alaska and it looked like opportunity to me. And I'm like, well, that city looks too big. That city looks too small. Packed up my tools and went north. Wow. 19 years old and never looked back. Wow. And it took six and a half days to get there. And um, it was a wonderful experience. So. You drove from where? From Vermont, upstate Vermont. Wow. So north, northern cold state to a, another very northern cold Did state. Did you go through Canada or the U.S.? We went there? through Canada. This was prior to all the weird border issues. You yeah. know, there was no cell phones. There was a CB radio. I had to save for like two weeks just to buy that stinking CB radio. I love it. What a great story. It was story. awesome. Yeah. I think we used it once to talk to a trucker. Just because we had to see if it worked. We, your wife? <laughs> my, my dad went. Oh, you're, you so, and your yeah, dad? Yeah, it was a great trip, you know, with dad and uh, went north and and uh, then he got on that plane and I was all alone. So you bought a shop, you built a shop, you went to work for somebody. Give me a quick overview. The quick summary is I always knew what I wanted to do. I always was purpose driven since I was like 11 years old, taking things apart. And uh, I love just helping people and trying to make things work and figure them out. So I always wanted to own my own shop and uh, went to Alaska and began that dream, you know, one customer at a time. There's something about Michael that I know, and that is your, your mush dogs. Dog mushers. Yes. Dog mushers. Yeah. See, Proper I, terminology. It's okay. I, I don't know what the terminology is, but, but I, I wanted to do an episode with him on that. How'd you get into that? Well, so one of the things I love to do is help people move towards their purpose and their dreams and goals. That's what I love to do. So my beautiful wife, my bride, um, we have three great, lovely children and, and my wife has stuck with me all these years. And so her big dream, um, she's the college educated one, by the way. She's the smart one. So she's helped me really write good emails or not write the emails. Okay. Hmm. So point is, is that she always loved to want to get into the dog mushing world. She loves the canines. Um, I have 35 dog houses if I misbehave in the house, of course. And you got um, a place to go. I've learned to build dog houses like mad, man. We can set up a construction project, <laughs> let me tell you. But um, she loved uh, to always watch like they did her out on television, yeah. which is coming out really soon. And um, so we started getting into those circles. And, you know, dog mushers are like farmers, basically. Um, they work really hard for very little money. And so their currency, as one of my uh, best friends, is a, is a vet. And the, the short version of the story is uh, somebody needed their car fixed. His name was Lance Mackey. And he was uh, like Guinness Book of World Records type of guy. 
Um, and he won races uh, beyond what anybody else has done yet. Four back-to-back, I think, Yukon Quest and Iditarods in a row. So two 2,000-mile races in one year, four years in a row. Don't quote me exactly on that, but it's something like that. So he needed to get his vehicle to the first win in 2007. And I was the I was actually fixing cars back then. And I remember it was JB Weld and a 7.3-liter glow plug. And I had to weld that thing into that block to get him there. And he won that first race. And so... He couldn't afford to pay me, but he could afford to pay me with dogs. So there was my wife's dream born. Oh, my. Yep. <laughs> I then, love that And we barely made payroll story. that week, but we did it, and my wife got her dog, so we did both. So how many dogs do you have now? About 35. 35. Will you have 35 stores one day? You know, maybe. Or more. I love that attitude. Yeah, absolutely. Is, you are just so positive. I got to have 35 managers and, and leaders, though, so that's the hard part of yeah, writing. Yeah, I so. bet you it is. That's a great, that, that's a great point. Jason, Illinois, Indiana. More suburban city? Uh, more suburban. More suburban? Yeah. Two stores now. By hanging out with Michael and, and this whole M&A team, where was your inspiration to get up and grow? That's a good question. I think... Uh, peer pressure. I like extreme challenges. And uh, yeah, yeah, maybe a little peer pressure. I don't yeah, know. Michael said, hey, That's, come on, know. get going, get going. <laughs> Mush, you have you good, were mushing uh, him, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had gotten to the point where I had good leaders and good people on our staff in, in our Lansing store. And I found myself going to work and I didn't feel like I was needed there as much as I used to. It kind of coincided that, that, that phase uh, of, uh, of our shop and, you know, our progression of how things went sort of coincided with Michael's activity and some other guys, you know, who I see as mentors like Mike, Mr. Bates, and those kind of guys, Jeff, Matt, some of some of these guys, I saw them doing it, and uh, I thought, well, if they can do it, why can't, why can't I do it? And I needed an extra challenge to keep me interested. And it's not that I wasn't interested in the business, but I just had such good people that were doing their jobs so well that I, I knew I could. You just emulate someone. You you watch them. You ask questions, and sooner or later, you say, "I can do that." The group that you're with would probably not let you you know, hang yourself, have you dump into a hole, but you got to have the right mindset to do this. Michael, mindset. Well, I think it comes with the the first, the power of belief. You know, you get around a bunch of people that have done things that you never thought that anybody could do, talking about things that you never knew existed. Okay. So your world becomes more open to possibility. Like I know with Jason, Jason is, is I'm, I'm sure part of what drove him and I know drove me is just the challenge, oh, the absolutely. challenge of solving yeah. something hard, something difficult. When you achieve something in your life and, um, you know, you make your, your own way. Okay. And then you start making a living for others and seeing them succeed. It's like, wow, this is fun, you know, and also how do I get better? And, and how do I challenge myself? And the, the friendships that Jason speaks of that we have developed, I mean, it's like none other I've ever had. I joke around, you know, calling it peer pressure, but it's, it's more peer support and belief in each other. And so when you believe in each other and you have a purpose in life and, um, people believe in you, your self esteem builds and you can go to places that you never thought you could go. What I find fascinating with your group, Michael, is I'm a single store owner. I've got a great net operating income. I'm happy with my people and I'm ready. I don't know 
Do I move the left foot first, the right arm next? You know, do I need to buy 10 yellow pads? Do I need to get software? What, what do I do? And it seems to me that this team, this group won't let you fail. No, and that's one of my favorite parts about this group is that when somebody gets stuck any time of the year and needs help, there are so many other people they can pick up the phone and call and they do. We do. So there's these individual relationships that are built that anybody can call anybody about anything. And then we start sharing best practices with each other. And then the bar goes up again. And then we, somebody tries something brand new that nobody else has done. We all learn about it. Then other people try it. And then we sort of institutionalize that as a group concept. And the bar just keeps going up and up and up. And one of the real connections with all these guys is their smart risk-taking model, right? These guys are not afraid to step into a smart space with support and try something that they don't know how to do, which is really a key, I think, to them, their persistence, their resilience, and their their success. Because if they can't figure out how to do it, they fall on their face, get back up, dust themselves off. Don't jump back behind the comfort zone wall. They stay out there and they're like, all right, next time I'm going to win this thing. Fall down again, get up, dust off, take another step forward. It's all on the outside of what they used to know and, and be comfortable with. And they're wired that way. And so that's a real key, I think, in this group is these are guys who are fearless, smart fearless, but they're also there together. So they're not out there by themselves falling down, getting discouraged. They're like, oh, I fell down like that, too. This is what I did. Oh, my God, what a genius solution. And then they, they try that, and it, and it works. Humble, vulnerable. Humble, open, yeah, vulnerable, yeah, all yeah. of that good stuff. That you got to be. Fearless, right? Because yeah. they know there's nothing they can't conquer. So they try it. They conquer it. Yeah. And it gives them more confidence yeah. to go and do the next big thing. So That was Michael Smith. The, since there's two small Michaels here, I, I've got to add your last names when I ask you a question. So <laughs> people call don't, us by our last name. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. Smart. <laughs> Smith and Smith. All right. Okay. I got it. <laughs> Jason, let me ask you a different question. A teachable moment from your second growth experience. Hmm. Well, there's uh, plenty of those. So <laughs> that's, see, but, that's uh, great. So humble, vulnerable, I'm ready to uh, teach. Yeah. Because no matter how much support you have from a peer group or anything, it's still on you to pull it off. You know, bottom line is you, you still have to figure out how to do it and things are going to come up. And so, you know, one thing I can think of that was really challenging was I had hired a, a person, a guy who, to be a service manager, store manager. And uh, a week before we were supposed to open because it, it was a store that had been closed for a couple of months. So a week before the store opened, it he he gave his resignation before he started. He's backed out of it. Okay, now I'm left with this one store that I have really great people at, but uh, the second one, I have nobody to run the service counter. So I, I wrote service and I ran the, the shop until I found someone else. And then it was still, it wasn't over after that. I still, I, I hired another person to help me uh, who didn't work out, ended up having to replace them and and another person. So to get the two people I have in the service counter there now, um, I, I had to replace three people before I could get them. And, that, and so that's not a problem you want to deal with, that you want to have to deal with when you're doing something you've never done before. So, you know, like opening a second store store and spending a bunch of money all at the same time. And I never doubted that I was going to get through it, but I had some doubts about whether I'd stay sane going through it. You know. <laughs> thousands, <laughs> thousands can relate to that story. Lots of two o'clock sure. in the morning moments. Oh right? my. We hear that actually a little too often because of this great, you know, nobody wants to work and uh, all the all the dealerships really offering some big money to pull people away from us. And I mean, 
the episode that we did with Michael, please listen to that with Brian Bates and AJ Neely. We, we did it. We, we got into some deep talk about dealerships and, and the strategy. So please listen to that. Getting leaders ready. Michael Samard, what, what do you start planning to do if you're going to have this explosive growth? Well, that's, that's where it's key. And, you know, the, I think the first thing is, um, your, your own resilience. And, um, like Jason said, he just kept, kept trying. He got up again tomorrow and he, he did it again and he didn't give up. So I think your people need to see that you're there committed to succeeding in, in the direction and the purpose that, that you guys have set forth so that you're going to work hard for them. And if you're going to be the first there in the morning and, and last there at night, um, not willing to clean the toilet. If you will, that's that humility. And it sounds like Jason was, was trying to say, like, like, I'll keep trying until I find the right fit. So the biggest thing I think with leadership, and that's, that's where it's key is, is to try to find people with the same purpose and values. You know, so for us in Alaska, um, we attract people all over the country. There's two types of people that tend to move to Alaska because I'm always looking for leaders within Alaska and outside Alaska. But there's two types of people that tend to move there. And it's people that are either running to opportunity or running away from something. Mm -hmm. So it took me about 15 years to figure that one out because I messed it up a lot, kind of like Jason said. And so when you find out that people are looking to run towards opportunity and live in the the great North Alaska, it's tough. Like if you don't have resilience, if you don't know how to split firewood, um, if you don't understand what it's like to stay warm at 50 below, okay, you're you're just going to, you're going to struggle. And so having people in your leadership team, that's willing to do those hard things for their people to serve people first, to stop on the side of the road when the little old ladies broke down at 10 or 20 below. And that wants to go fishing with me all night long. Like those are my key leadership points right there. Wow. It seems to me, and I'm only thinking from a very naive perspective that your opportunity to grow in Alaska has to be huge because tiny limited opportunities. I can't believe that there's a shop on every corner and there's 10 in every small market. And with the stats, Michael, that you have shared with us about the shrinking aftermarket, the retirement zone of the boomer, I guess your explosive growth can happen because of the O word, the opportunities that are right probably at your doorstep. Well, yeah, it's also difficult. It's not a market where I can find a technician around every corner. It's hard to do that anywhere. So we have to really kind of think outside the box. And so it's back to like Jason was talking about, we just never give up. If everybody's doing it one way and it's 99 out of a hundred ways, I'm going to be the one that's going to do it a different way. And so I think that's, that's what uh, has kept me going. And, and I just see the need in the community for that, you know, personalized, comprehensive, uh, customer experience that everybody's looking for that trusting relationship, that community garage and shop that people want. So, you know, we're in it for more than just the money. It's more for serving the community and helping the industry, you know, get back on their feet when, you know, society for a while just thought, you know, we were the ones that weren't smart enough to go to college. And now we're fixing vehicles that, you know, are talking 40 computers plus at, at the speed of light almost. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's so many brilliant people in this, in this industry and finding those leaders and finding, you know, a lot of us are eccentric, if you will, but we won't give up until we figure out how it works, how to make it go faster. I didn't go to college, but I'm leading people and building wealth. Ain't that cool? Yep. 
Hey, have you visited the Napa Auto Care member site lately? Well, since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member site has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all the Napa programs, promotions, member benefits, and business building tools to help your business thrive. Some features to the member's site include never miss an update, stay current with notifications and announcements on the homepage, and view the dashboard featuring your shop's financial status. Also take advantage of cost-saving member-exclusive promotions and a faster automated 24-24 peace-of-mind warranty submission process. Submit re-repair claims directly on the member site and easily check the status there as well. Now, typically the claim is settled and EFT or credit card payment is sent within 48 hours. Turn searches into a new customer with a referral tracker. Now learn more about how a consumer Napa online search for your shop can generate new customers at no additional cost to members. Use this popular customer tool to evolve your marketing strategies and to get the most business value. Own more than one Napa Auto Care? Link all your facilities to one login and access all the facilities to one user. You can also access the Shop Napa Helm or Pro Office website directly. You can also submit a pro-image free look for a sneak peek at how you can co-brand your locally known name with a nationally recognized Napa brand. Also, submit online ASE certification renewal and test reimbursements. You also get exclusive access to dozens of industry-leading programs and solutions. Now, if you're a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal and take advantage of these many member benefits today. Now, if you're not a Napa Auto Care Center, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. We hear so much about processes and systems We've heard horror stories. I should have never done store two until, unless I fixed this. And the biggest challenge that I had was store three because I thought I had them right in store one and two. Got any horror stories or great stories to share with us, Jason? Kind of ties into what I said earlier. So the, the positive outcome from the situation that I was in when I had to replace people because they weren't the right fit for our team was that we found the right people. And the really cool thing to see was that the other employees, whether they're at my first store or the second store, the technicians in the back, never lost faith in my ability to lead us to success. And that speaks volumes about them and our company culture. And I think that um, without that, we wouldn't have anything. Those those technicians might have quit and thought, well, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if Jason's plan is going to work. Can he really take us to where we need to go? They didn't do that. It, it was the opposite. They stepped up and they helped out when they needed to and where they needed to and, you know, worked out great. Pretty darn impressed about the fact that uh, they'll take a bullet for you and uh, and fall in front of a bus. And because of that, he survived in your pain of if it was a toxic employee or the loss of someone and people just pitched in, you probably were pretty amazed. I was, I was very, uh, I was happily, I, I won't say I was surprised. I was just, I was just really happy about it. I, you asked me before the reason why I think you said, why did you decide to expand yeah. or, or, you know, when was the moment? And I thought, well, I, I had such a good time and I was so proud to help people to have good careers that pay them well and they work for a good, a good place. I just wanted to do more of that. So it, t- it ties back to the reason why I started my shop to begin with. I wanted people to have a place to go to work where they were treated with respect and they were respected by their coworkers and employees. And also I wanted to, and customers, I should say, and I wanted to give customers better service and better quality too. 
we're doing that and now we're just doing more of it and it's even better. Which karma I think is an interesting perspective, right? Once yeah. you dial in your purpose and your character, you get the meaning straight, yeah. your context platforms built, then it's almost natural to say now we're so strong. We feel so good about it. Now we'd like to multiply. Yeah. So how do we do that? Right. We can get more customers in the same store and now we're kind of at capacity. What else? Buy more stores. And we just happen to be living in a world where that's easier and easier to do. You covered competitive advantage yesterday's speech. Take us down a little bit and let's interact sure. with our guys. Just the basic point that I made, that was one of our shorter moments yesterday. Yeah. But the, the concept of it was when I first got to know this industry five, six, seven years ago, I would ask groups of CEOs, what's your competitive advantage? And I got funny answers back like, well, we have a 36,000 mile warranty. It's like, okay, writing all those things down at the end, I'd look at the board and say, is there anything on here that your competitors don't do? No. It's like, well, then you don't have a competitive advantage. Back to the drawing board. Let's do this again. So one of the concepts that we've always had, USP, unique selling proposition here at the Institute, we talk about UVP, unique value proposition. In, embedded in all of that is the word unique. What's unique? And so what we were talking about yesterday was what, we're, what these guys have been uh, just talking about so eloquently the way they see people, the way they want to make a real difference in the world, the way they treat their own people, their communities, their customers differently. That's the legacy that they're building. That is a unique value proposition. And that maybe is the kickoff to these guys. It's like, this is what's different about the industry. Back to your question about policies and procedures and SOPs and all that great stuff that we have to have to be able to run a profitable business. What goes after that? What's the next level up of competitive advantage? And these guys have leaned into this and now begun to see where the power in the human side is, if you will. Before we jump into what you both feel is a competitive advantage, I couldn't help. We did an episode together, Michael, on SWAT. Okay, I do 36,000 miles and, you know, we have a loaner car. And what, there's nothing different there. Is it possible that we could pull our team together, do an SWOT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and figure out somewhere on those quads as we distill what we need to work on that we could find a competitive advantage once we talk about it. Absolutely. And that's one of the projects. That's one of the processes that we go through when we work with individual companies is literally that we sit down with a well-developed leadership team, not a beginning leadership team. But once they're down the road, these guys are talking about have an, a session. We did this with Brian, who was here before whiteboard on the wall. Okay, guys, what, what are your competitive advantages? And after these guys have been trained and been thinking about this and moving in this new world that we're talking about, they they put up a list of things that are actually unique. And at that point, it's being driven by the field. The people who are out in the stores, in the customer's face, working with the teams, are standing up and saying, this is what makes us special. And that list of topics is then what you can go recruit to. It's where the masters that are out there hiding in the woods that are not happy with where they work, but they've never found a better place. So they're busy cranking along doing what they love to do, kind of ignoring the company that they work for. That's when the word gets out. Because it's like this company stands for this, this, and this. This is how they develop their people. This is what matters to them. And the meaning is what differentiates a genuine master from people who are on the track to mastery. And it makes sense, right? Once you get to be a great journey person and you move into mastery and you're solving all the problems that you and others couldn't solve before, what comes after that? And what we found is that that people at the mastery level of production where they're really becoming satisfied with the power 
their own power that they have in their hands start to look around and go, huh, I wonder what's beyond this. What else is out there that has meaning to it? And so they become literally transcendent thinkers. The psychologists, the social anthropologists realize that once you achieve a high level of mastery, you start to think about how does this fit into the bigger picture and how do other things work? And when you get to that level, now you start attracting them to these high performance cultures that these guys are building. And you end up with a team that can do things and faster and better and take on bigger challenges and stand behind each other when things go wrong and solve problems together that put you so far out ahead of your competitors and now you have a, a distinctive and replicable competitive advantage which is completely different than the way this industry was raised for the last 75 to 100 years right yeah. so. as long as we can meet this if you will minimum requirements right. we we're good right michael smart do you have a competitive advantage i think what people see when they go into a business is is really what the people are there and how, what their experience is. So we can write these on the wall, right? We can put them on big plaques. But the biggest thing, again, it's, it's really not that difficult. The competitive advantage is the experience that you have, and that comes from the people and the values that they share. For example, we have, you know, five core values. It took us years to figure out what they are. You know, our core values are idea. We actually... We spell it wrong, but it's an acronym to help teach it. It's integrity, dependability, excellence, empathy, and attentiveness. And every one of those has a statement that we've all talked about every single day in every single store. So I'm not going to say the, the loaner car or the, the warranty. Okay. Our competitive advantage is when you come in and meet a friendly person who actually cares. You know, for example, the old way. I'd like a price on some ball joints. Well, just a minute. Click. And then you wait and they come back. It'd be $1,400. Well, we'll get you in in two weeks, right? That's, that's the old way of the shops used to answer the phone. Well, we wanted to know more. Well, what is it that you need exactly? Why do you feel you need ball joints? Is it a safety concern? You know, so people just want to be treated fairly and they want to be safe. Those are two, two big things. So, um, hopefully I answered your question, but the biggest thing is the experience that you have and the trust that you, you get when you come into our shops. Um, that's, one of our biggest competitive advantages. I heard purpose. I heard family values. I heard the best customer experience that anyone could possibly have. But people always claim, Michael, that they have that. Of course. But you have to live it and you have to be it. Time will tell. The reputation you have in the market will genuinely take care of itself. It's, it's your value prop and it can be a, the competitive advantage. The buzz in the marketplace will legitimately take care of itself, especially in the in the distributed trust world that we yeah. live in, the, the Yelp reviews, the Google stars, all that stuff. Why do we get in shared uh, mobility vehicles, right? Why do I give my dog the Rover when I travel on vacation overseas? I'm trusting people I've never seen before to take care of some of my most precious assets, my family and all that. And I, I do it because 5,000 other people said this person touched my family and was dependable and you can trust them. So we live in that world. And so that reputation, the market reputation component has gotten stronger than it ever has before. The sneaky, sleazy shop that lies and twists and cheats and steals. There's always another customer around the corner to screw. Nobody will ever find out. Now we find out. And when those people are at the bottom of the heap, they can't play that way anymore or they're going to get out of the business. And we talked about this consolidation thing. Half the companies in this business being gone by the time the dust settles and then shrink from there. Those people that are the first to go are the ones that people look around with the two stars and they don't go get their cars fixed there to go to the 4.8 star group. That's what's out there for us. And, and the market reputation's gotten stronger than it ever has before. Competitive advantage, Jason. I like to think about what my customer would want 
if I was a customer, in other words, what would I want from an auto repair shop? And and we take that a little bit further and we ask our customers too, and we've done that before. I guess just the way that we operate is we're customer-centric. People who work at Fine Tune Auto genuinely care about their customers. And so that's the number one thing I would want. Uh, one of my biggest fears is going to the doctor. And I, I know there's lots of great doctors, but if I go to the doctor, I, I don't know what he's doing or whether he's right or wrong. And I imagine that's how my customers feel. Are, are we, are we going to do some kind of unnecessary car surgery here or something? I, what's going to happen? And we, I believe that we've given people a place they can go that they know that they can trust and that whatever's going to happen there, whether they understand the technical side of it or not, they feel comfortable going there because they know the people working there genuinely care about the customer. Those are the kind of people that I hire as people who care about my customers and each other, you know, just care about people in general. So trust sits up on the board of a competitive advantage. It could be just a word on a piece of paper. To your point about the doctor, we seem to trust the doctor when he says, I got to send you for tests. And if I don't like those, we're going to send you for another. And you keep paying the bill and you keep trusting. Can trust be a competitive advantage? Absolutely. So, so we have good people, we have values, we have a purpose, and we try to live it every day. Well, back to the systems and processes. So the systems and processes should in, embody what you believe. Let's go back to the doctor. Um, I've had lots and lots of time with doctors, my kids and, and whatnot. And so, you know, the doctors that came and explained the process were transparent about the results that explained what was to come next and why it was needed and asked if you had any questions and legitimately didn't act like they had to go get to five other patients. That, that just made it matter to you that you were the only person in the world at that moment. That is what I think people are looking for. It's just a real genuine experience, an authentic experience of authenticity. And, and, um, they, when they come in, they know example, for example, of what we're going to offer them by our process. And they're going to go tell their friends. There was no surprises. Right. They seem to care about what my budget was at the time and what I could afford to do, not what they thought I should do. They actually asked, like, for example, this, this is going to get me in trouble. Um, but I've not lost this with my coach yet in 20 years. And, and we actually ask people after we present the, uh, digital inspection, we actually ask them, what would you like an estimate on today? And I've had so many trainers tell me that's completely wrong, but we have like the highest average row in the group maybe top two. And so because it's all about trust, people buy from people that they trust. Right. But then when they give you permission, we get a lot of everything and guess what they fix. You trust me. They say this, it's almost like a two way trust street that's going on because you, it's almost like you offered instead of me quoting a hundred percent of what we found, and, and, and we, we will, we'll quote a hundred percent. We'll inspect a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. We'll quote a hundred percent of the time, but where we differ. Okay. With our process You'll, is that we will ask permission first. What you want to quote on before you present, before you present now, if they're like, well, I only have a thousand dollars, right. And or $500 and my kid's sick. It's going through, you know, cancer treatment. I mean, there's all these things that people are going through in their life. And the last thing they want to have to deal with is their car repair for someone they don't trust. Find out where they are. Meet them where they are. Now, if you know that also the $500, they really need this tie rod end, it's going to be a safety concern. I'm still going to talk about that. 
Okay, but I'm going to talk. I might actually go ask the technician. Well, do they have much time on this? Is this is this going to hurt them or not? And we're not, but we're not going to scare them. And so we're going to. Why don't you come in the shop and look at that? Is there any way you could borrow the money? You know, we have some financing. If you really truly care about people, you're going to do the right thing. And if you do the right thing, one of our sayings is the money's going to come. It's just really simple. Carm, sometimes we talk about in the customer end of it a stewardship model rather than a sales model. We're not selling stuff. We're stewarding their investment of their vehicle, which is, by the way, a depreciating asset, right? So the minute you buy a car, you're losing money, and they know that. So they don't, they want to put the least amount of money into it they can to make it last as long as they can to be safe and all the other stuff that's on their, their wish list. But like at the end of the day, if I took, and I love driving an old truck, if I took that in and fixed every single thing that needed fixing every time, I would have paid for that truck a hundred times. So it's a stewardship question. How long do I want to own it? What do I need to do now? Can I put something off until later? It's a unique conversation for me. And that's different than, okay, I've got a $1,200 inspection and I need to sell $600 to make sure I make my 50% of the opportunity closure, right? All these numbers that we measure, sometimes we drive to those numbers and we don't really care about the customer anymore. And I mean, we care, but we don't care because it's really about the numbers. It's about getting the repairs done efficiently. It's about getting as much work out the front door as we can reasonably and having them come back. Not quite so angry next time, you know, not angry next time so that they'll do more work. You start talking about stewardship and it's like, look, this is your, this is a big investment in your life. This is your family we're talking about. Let's work together. You tell us what your needs are. We'll tell you what we can do to help you. Here's a long list of stuff. Maybe we put some of it off. Maybe we'll call you when the number of miles goes by that we think you should look at this again and just remind you, Hey, do you want to bring it in? We'll check it out at that point. It's a different relationship. And that's the customer you want, right? The one that values that, that from a trust standpoint. And, and again, competitive advantage. If you roll that way, the word gets out. Yeah. Back to Michael Samard, you brought up a great story about maybe the kid has cancer treatments. How do you teach your people that everyone has a story that we need to know, understand, and respect? Well, just start with the fact that they're real people like you. You know, first of all, you got to hire people with, with that same, those same values. And it's not always easy, right, Jason, to figure out no. who has <laughs> them because a lot of people say, Oh yeah, I have those. I have those. Well, when you, when you get a little stressed or when things go wrong, when the, for example, when the part doesn't show up or you, when you don't get the car done, are you going to say it was the part store? <laughs> we don't say that. It's like, Oh, it's, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's like a lie is a lie is a lie. If you just be truthful with people. So the biggest thing is, is, um, when people come to work for us and we teach them, our methods. The first thing they'll say is, this is, this is not what I was taught. This is not, not the way to do it. Say, so that's okay. Okay. Because what you have to offer the company, I'm sure are wonderful things and we're going to learn from you, but just please just go ahead and, and allow us to, to speak into that for you and, and show you what our process is. And I promise you it'll work because again, people buy from people that they trust. So if you just help them understand that number one, your job's safe. Okay. So we give them some safety around the way they get paid. We tell them we're, we're not hard sellers. So in the beginning on the, on the calls for the interviews, we ask a lot about their, just their philosophy of sales. What kind of people you like to do business with? Are you a hard seller? And, you know, it's good that they know their numbers. I have nothing wrong with that because numbers go on paychecks. We can't use smiley faces. Sometimes I wish we could, but we can't do that. And so we just find out what kind of, what kind of people they are. And if they fit that, then we teach them our process. And then after a while, they're like, Oh, wow. This is actually really easy. It's like, yeah, it's a lot better than having a boss just try to push, push, push the numbers. All you got to do is treat people well, and then word will get out, and the money will come. 
Thank you for that bit of inspiration. And Jason, based on what uh, Michael just said, do you hire a different person when you're growing an MSO company or not? You hire the same person you've been hiring forever, but they now have to assimilate into a much bigger company. It probably depends on the position you're hiring for. So, I mean, you know, the the technicians and, and service advisors uh, who I have at my first store would work just as well at my second store. They're, we're running the same business model, but there's a certain skill set that people need to have to be in certain positions. So if I was going to put someone in a general manager position, for example, I would love to promote someone from within our company and I will provide them with as much opportunity to learn and grow so that they can do that. We'd be doing ourselves a disservice by promoting the wrong person. So I might have to hire from outside the company if I needed to, you know, so it, it depends, you know, on the, on the position, I guess. The whole career opportunity, the career pathing that happens when you're an MSO, the opportunity for five, six, seven, ten stores for two, three, and four for an individual who would want to come to work to see a growing store and the potential to be foreman, manager, that kind oh, yeah. of thing. So the lots of upward mobility. One of the things that keeps people around is they, they think, wow, this place is growing. I could move up here if I want to. If I want to work hard at it, I could be a shop foreman. I could be a, an area manager. I could be a store manager because maybe my store manager is just so awesome. He just got promoted. So now I could be a store manager. And there's all these other opportunities or a diagnostic technician. We have one guy who currently solves all the super weird, hard problems that no one else could fix. And he, and he teaches. He loves to teach. So he's in that mastery phase of his career that Michael Smith mentioned. We gave him the opportunity to, to teach other technicians how to diagnose electrical problems and things like that. So we're having our own in-house training. We started doing that. I think it's our third, third session now. And he loves it. He loves, he loves to teach other people what he's really good at. So those are great opportunities. How'd you find that out? Communicating with your employees on a regular basis is always a great idea. So sometimes I'll just take somebody out to lunch if I haven't talked to them in depth for a while and just find out what they want to do. And in this particular case, this technician was, I felt that he, he was doing great and he was at the top of his career, uh, skill level wise and everything. And I, I thought, well, if I were him, I'd, I'd want to know what's next. So I just asked him, what, what's next for you? Do you, what do you see yourself doing? And he said, I want to, I'd like to turn wrenches less and diagnose more. And we just kind of, you know, carried on a conversation about that. What if you taught some other guys how to do some of this diagnostic stuff at a basic level so that you can just focus on the, the harder ones? Then you'd be able to diagnose more. So I think that's just a form of goal alignment where we're just aligning the company's goals with the employee's goals. So this guy said, hey, I want to do this. I said, great, we need that. Glad we talked about it. And it just worked out. So goal alignment, huge two words. <laughs> and you discovered that by asking. And I, I don't do enough of it. I, I should do it more. You, you reminded me. So thank right, you. Good. No problem. <laughs> no charge. Did you ever hire, make a bad hire? That's how we get better. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, good answer. Textbook. Absolutely, yeah. Textbook yeah. answer. No, it was a Michael Smith answer. <laughs> We have uh, some parts that I was like, my team helped me uh, discover that I'm blind to. So oh. I'm an activator, let's say, by the Strengths Finder. Okay. Um, and so I love getting people started. And I, I think one of the things for me is I can ignore people's flaws for about six months, three to six months. 
straight up. They've actually calculated this. <laughs> they actually have names for this, um, rosy colored glasses and all this different things. But what it does is give me the ability to, to help people believe in themselves. For me, what they realize is in the interview process, when I stopped interviewing myself, because I tend, I would tend to hire people that, um, would work for me just fine. Okay. But there's always things I was missing. So when I got other people involved in our interview process, amazing things happened. We started not only picking better people, not only for their skill set, that's actually not first anymore. Used to be first when I was learning. Really? Really? Yeah. More it's now value alignment, Uh right? And purpose. Are these people going to get off the couch? Are they going to want to go forward? So the MSO operation, the biggest challenge is, is setting up those structures and those development conversations to where you're always talking about what could be possible. You know, where, where could you go? Where do you want to go? How does your personal goals, um, your personal family goals and your career development path, how do those align with the company's purpose and goals? And when you start finding synergy in those two things, then it's very powerful. Now, we don't have it all always right. Okay. Um, but the biggest thing is that we're always looking for how to provide more opportunities for our employees um, in the day-to-day operations. I wrote down soft skills. Are they important, guys? I would say so, yeah. What are you seeing out there? Rough and rugged? And are you having to do some grooming when you hire them? Soft skills. You know, I think the biggest thing that I try to do is find out what turns them on. And so the, the soft skills, the, the people skills, you know, for us, it's very important to have empathy. So like Jason was saying, you know, not everybody fits the role. So, for example, if you have a, a high C or detail oriented type um, technician, usually the rock star technician, we have a core value of empathy. So if you're working next to a, a, a very detailed technician as a high producer, look, they may not naturally have been born with a high empathy state. Because they're used to working with technical things, but they have to understand, they have to stop and help their neighbor at any time, right? And be pleasant to be around. And so that can be a challenge. And some of those things you just can't teach. But if you're an I personality, if you're someone that's like a coach and, and charismatic, um, they're probably not so good with details. And so now they're on the front counter. And so, but they have the people skills. Now, a lot of times the front and back will butt heads, right? It never happens in a shop. So it's, I think as leaders, it's very much part of our job to kind of bring that together. And for us, it's empathy. So if you could just understand that that detail person is trying to get this stuff done and try not to mess it up. And if you could just understand that this person wants that person to trust them and, and, and articulate your work, because it's very important what you're doing. And when you start bringing that common purpose together, then I think people are able to be in a learning state and some of those more softer skills can come out. To me, it sounds like you're doing assessments. Yeah. Okay. So are you doing a disc? Yes, we do. Are you doing strengths finders on all your people? Yes, we are. Okay. I kind of picked that up. If the I knows who the C is and the C knows the I, and we talk about the the clash or understanding each is communication styles. Wow. Um, Everything works. Yeah, for an auto shop, we're doing that, right? So we have to. I mean, so if we're going to continue to grow our businesses, we have to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace. We have dealerships in our town that are spending very large and large amounts of dollars. We've had two people go there, and we were going through some troubles at the time, and they were going through some troubles at the time, okay? So this was a little while ago. Both of them came back. And, and, and one thing I got was a phone call not too long after they left. They said, well... They got, they gave me the money, 
but the culture is exactly the way you described it to be, it, which was very um, validating. Now I lost some good texts, but for me, it was like, that was gold. It's like, that means we're on the right path. It's like, we don't want to sure. be here just yeah. for the money. Like you can make really good money with us. There's good money in the industry. If we treat people right, it's all about doing the right thing. Are you doing assessments, Jason? We kind of do our own assessment. So, so when we hire somebody, backing up a step to, to the hire, right? We're going to hire somebody. I'll involve the store manager who they're going to be working under. I have to remember, I'm not hiring this person to work with me every day. I'm hiring this person to work with the rest of the team and they have to be a good fit there. So kind of the way that we've had the best luck with assessing an, uh, a prospective employee is do you fit in with, you know, how does everybody else like you? So I'll, I might have my shop foreman and the store manager sit down and talk to this person with me in the room. And it's mainly them asking questions. They've already got past me. I think they'll, Hey, you sound like a great person. You have good values. You want to work here for the right reason. Let's see if these other people have any questions for you that they might want to get answered. Collaborative process. We'll even do a working interview sometimes where the person will shadow or even work along with technicians and advisors. And so by, by the time we're done with that, we, we get a good feel for what kind of person that, you know, how they're going to work out. And that, that seems to have been working pretty well so far. After listening to you both and having understanding DISC and taking my own strengths finders, I wrote down know each other. And to me, that would be a really cool core value, maybe. And that is the reason we do this and we talk about it, we explain it, and we try to fit the right peg in the right hole you're in the right seat as they talk about in EOS, know each other. When you took your strengths finders, did you, is it a total of 34 different, uh, is 34? Right. Do you have them all? Do you know what all of them are? I know my top five and I know my number 34. And you my do. My team knows my 34 better than I do. I th yeah, they do, don't you? <laughs> That's consistency. You can't do it. You just can't do uh, it. Consistency. <laughs> like I can get better, but I promise you guys I'll work my whole life on consistency and, and it'll still be number 34. I, w I was trying to write down my top five and I only, I only could remember three, although I, I am all those fives. By the way, as, as an aside, I had taken the strength finder, oh, a year. Before I started the podcast. What are they? I'm not sure what order. Ideation, responsibility, strategic, and I can't remember the other two. But I'm sure if I pull up my phone or the app, they're all there. Somebody embarrassed me to get the, the rest of, of the strengths. Uh, great friend, a shop owner. He says, you don't know all your strengths. You don't know what your, your worst. So I finally spent the money and did it. And it was really an eye-opener. But what I realized after I was podcasting for a while... And I went back and I looked at the strengths. I realized that I was doing exactly what I, I had the capabilities to do. It almost spoke to me. And my tendencies, your people's tendencies, seem to come out in almost every time I open my mouth, every action that I take, every walk I make, every, every person I look at seems to be in those top five strengths, which is why know each other is so important. Says, you know why he's asking that question? Do you know he's a perfectionist and, and I'm the eye guy? That's why I'm on the counter. Why, why is he on the counter? Well, because he's built to do that. He has the strengths and the communication style to do it. I got into what assessments were years ago and it's great. I mean, do you guys, Michael Smith, 
push this a lot with your teams? We talk about it and, and we leave it up to the owner to decide whether they want to do it or not. For us, assessments are informational. Like you said, it's about getting to know each other. So we don't necessarily recommend hiring based on the assessment results. Um, because they can be skewy. If people don't do the assessments honestly, you don't get an honest answer, and the better assessments will tell you you don't have a consistent answer. Some of the other ones don't. So what we really love is assessments after a decision's made in a collaborative way to hire somebody. When they hit the ground, we want to get to know you, so we'd like to ask you to do these assessments. We also want you to be able to see on your team what the other people are, and we're going to bring you up to speed and yeah. understanding how the pieces fit together. It's just, as you said, it's all about knowing each other. And the more familiar we are, the less unknown there is, the easier it is for us to, to have an honest connection with each other. And that's really what it's all about. If I know where you are, and this is where it comes back to the presentation we had today about friendship at work. Some people are like, I don't want to be friends with my employees. I don't want to know their personal lives. I just want them to come here and do their job. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But human beings need to be in contact with other human beings. They need to be known they need to be appreciated and vice versa. Steam has to go both ways, right? So this is critical to having mm -hmm. this trusting, high-powered team that works well together is not this distance. You can't have the distance and have the results you want. We found out today that friendships at work are critical. They're awesome. You guys just made me realize something. I, I think that that's probably a big part of why those, just those kind of informal interview, that informal interview process with the other employees, it's probably why that works. Because there, things come up in the conversation like, so uh, what do you like to do in your spare time? Well, I like to bowl. Oh, me too. I've been bowling for my whole life. That's great. So if we can be friends before we're even coworkers, if we know we could be friends outside of work, we'd probably be friends at work. So that's kind of a compatibility test in a way, I think. Yeah. People want to belong. It's, it's tribal in a way. It's, it's very much built into our DNA and who we are. And, you know, things are different now. We're into phones and things like that, but people still have a sense of belonging, you know, once their basic needs are taken care of. And if you want to build a, a rocket ship team, right, you've got to build little mini squads of, of belonging that, that can go back to the whole. And, um, you know, one of the favorite things that we do is, is, uh, we do town hall meetings and we did a big Christmas party and just getting together to celebrate. Um, who we are and, and, and where we've been and, and, and our family. I think Jason's, you know, uh, a little less, uh, formal interview process is probably because they both know, both parties know real, real quickly if there's any connections there. And once you get those, Hey, we both go bowling, right? It's like, there's a connection. So there's an instant, well, you're a bowler, right? What's your number? What's your number? And so, oh, you know what you're doing. And, you, you know, so there's a little bit of connection there in the industry. And so I think that's important that we continue doing that for each other, you know, back to the beginning, right? It's, it's just helping each other, you know, and what can you do? You know, get to know other shop owners. Yeah. It's real yeah. simple. Yeah. When Shasta Nelson presented today and talked about doing things as a team outside of work and you hear everything from ax throwing to bowling to top Golf and dog mushing and, and, and dog mushing. <laughs> That's way up on my list. Big by in the way. Florida. Yes, but Florida. Florida. It's huge in Florida. <laughs> right. uh, let me see. They call that uh, s sand mushing. I think <laughs> something, something. And you start realizing what it me means and what it does to the organization. And the person who didn't want to go because they don't want to expose the fact that they're a gutter ball thrower gets embarrassed to want to come the next time. And then it wasn't about scoring. It wasn't about how many strikes you had. It was just about 
hanging with the team. And then you include the spouses in all of that. And it ends up being that whole friendship network kind of works. And it, it, it was a great, great, uh, great speech today. Guys, we, we covered some great, incredible ground here. And, um, I think we can, like the last time, we could go on for two hours, but we thank our audience for hanging in there and, and all this great dialogue. I want to give you each a last word. Uh, Jason Brennan, Fine Tune Auto Service, Illinois and Indiana, two stores and growing. Any final comments to our, our listener? My final comments are that I love what I do and I love it more every day. And it's because of the people. Mm-hmm. It really is. Would you have been able to do this without, without being in a coaching group? Probably not. I don't think so. I, I was about to fail completely before I joined uh, Bottom Line Impact Group because I'm really hard-headed, and I waited until my business almost failed before I joined, so I would have to say no. You and uh, <laughs> you and 127,000 other ones, right, Michael? Jeez. And, and that's what I love when I hear these stories and these honest answers. There's there's people out there listening to this and saying, I still can't afford it. That's me. <laughs> I can't afford not to. Still, yeah, really. I, exa- well, we, we talk about that too often, but still... There are another 100,000 shops out there that need to get into a program like this, and they're refusing, and, and they're dying uh, on the vine. Michael Samard, Alaska, gosh, um, four stores and growing. Uh, your final word. Yeah, I think um, getting around a peer group is really important. You know, the Institute has done a great job, RLO, you know, the merger. Um, again, getting around people that, that are like-minded and that can help you believe in yourself. Um, I, like Jason, was stubborn. And uh, I remember the day I decided to not go in. And then I remember the pain after that continued. And then I finally decided to go in. And um, when you, you, you mean get in the organization, get, into, get with Get it. into a coaching Get in, okay. Group, you know, it. whatever that means for you. And then I started um, getting to know other shop owners and begin to share a little bit of what I knew to help them because they were going through the same thing. And so uh, I think that was really powerful. Um, I've got some of the best friends I've met. Um, you know, thank you, Carm, for what you're doing here to spread the word in the industry. Um, we live in a really great country and a, and a great world today. Um, and, and this industry is wonderful. And there's so much we can do to help our community and our families. And people just, just want it be safe and they want to know that they can trust us. And, and I'm just very grateful to be here. And um, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank thank you. So, so appreciate you being here and and all your great ideas, both of you, Michael Smith, the last word, last word, I'm just going to say is people, humans are our greatest competitive advantage and treating them right is not only the right thing to do, but they thrive. And when they thrive, then the business thrives. Our, our industry changes the bar, the water under all the boats goes up. And this is how we're going to be ready for the future that we keep trying to figure out what it's going to look like, right? Looking into the crystal ball and seeing it from different angles. What we know is humans are going to be in the middle of this. That's how it's going to play out. So, And sometimes we don't let them thrive. That's right. Controlling them doesn't let them And it's our fault. Sometimes it's their fault. They won't let us help them. Sometimes we have as much to do with the way we've built the life around them that holds them back that, you know, how can somebody who doesn't know how to thrive individually thrive if we shut them down at the same time? Yeah, that's true. Great point. Yeah. And if, and if they don't want to thrive with us because we give them an opportunity, then let them go sure. unthrive with and someone else. And they may come else. back. Yeah. Right. Uh, Michael Smith, managing partner, Herzberg Smith and company. Thanks for bringing the team and appreciate your friendship and what you guys, guys. brought to the uh, podcast today. Thanks guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 